And welcome back to another episode of Real Talk. I am your host, Officer Antoine Thomas. I enjoy saying it. I tell you all the time. Listen, I would like to take this time, as I always like to do, to give a special thank you, a special love to all of my listeners who are there, who have been there from the beginning, and for all the listeners that are slowly but surely coming in now. Please do me a favor and continue to like and share this podcast along with the latest episodes. So look, we wrapped up a beautiful first season. I, again, had no idea how we were going to begin the show, how we were going to end the show, but God brought it all together. We ended with my good friend, uh, no, no other person than the Armani Garcia talked about his life growing up as a police officer. I believe we touched a lot of different topics in that first season. And again, that was the introductory stage, okay? The introduction to what Real Talk is all about. As I stated in the trailer of the show some time ago that I wanted to make sure this show is centered around police and that we hit police matters, police issues. But I said we're going to talk about the good and the bad of policing. And when the officer's wrong, he or she, we're going to call them out and we're going to have to name out what they did. But I also talked about how we're going to always defend the police and never defund the police. I told you about that. Well, as you saw, I built the show in a way that we would uh, start off at the bottom. And like I said, we're going to work our way up. Well, we're right there on the second tier or the second layer of Real Talk. So we are going to be speaking about things today that really matters to police. It is a, a what I like to call a evolution that is trying to take over, uh, which is not a good evolution, but it is the transformation of policing, transformation of changing how we do things as police officers. And I'm here to tell you, that we have got to continue to fight back as we always stated that we would. Now, before I move any further, I just want to let you know, if you have not had the opportunity to listen to those last episodes within Real Talk, okay, the first season, from the perspective of a police officer's son, please do so. Again, that was where Garcia came on uh, and spoke about his time as a young man, and, and, and I actually <laughs> messed his name up. He's going to be upset at me. It's uh, Garcia, and, I, and, I, and I'm so sorry for that. I always call him Garcia, okay? But at the end of the day, we have got to continue to move the, as we say, the goalpost forward. If you did not listen to that episode, let me tell you, you have really missed out. So I need you to go back. I need you to go back, and I need you to listen and watch, as they say, right? And while you're at it, pray as well, okay? Well, today I have another great show for you. Our world is ever-changing, and the law enforcement community is attempting to keep up with these latest changes. We're doing our best. But to spout this nonsense... And what is the nonsense? Reimagining the police is a bunch of a malarkey to me, okay? That is what is malarkey at this point. You heard me say that in a few episodes during the critical race uh, theory uh, little segments and series that we did. How about reimagining, since we're going to talk about reimagining the police, can we do this for me, please? Reimagine that people would stop committing crimes. Could we reimagine that? Let's start there. If we want to reimagine anything, let's reimagine a world with no crime. How about that? Let's put the blame where it should be and not at the feet of the cop, okay? Let's put the blame where it needs to be. Let's go back to our communities. Let's talk about our gangs. Let's talk about uh, uh, um, black on black, white on white. Let's talk about domestic violence. Let's talk about murdering. Let's talk about robbing. The list grows, 
The list grows on. The list goes on. Let me say it like this, okay? Like my mother would say it. Now put that in your pipe and smoke that. <laughs> Those were her famous words. She still say that from time to time when she wants to end a point and there ain't no solution. There ain't no rebuttal. There's nothing coming after it. Just put it in your pipe and smoke it and smoke it. But today I thought it was befitting to talk about the latest buzzwords, reimagine the police, okay? That is where we're going to start. I'm going to move later on at some point into police accountability, but we have to hit it where it hurts. And that is the latest buzzwords, reimagining police. I'm your host, and this is Real Talk. Let's go ahead and dive right into this most important topic. Where did this reimagining reimagining the police originate does anybody know where it actually came about when did this happen what year what month what day did everyone to start to jump on the reimagining police campaign and train okay this crap stemmed from the george floyd and the Derek chiving uh incident as you probably could imagine after hearing and watching what took place many americans called for a dramatic rethinking um of police in the country or rethinking of the policing in the country as well. After every police officer deadly force incident, there were a person where a person was killed, excuse me, there's always, as you could imagine, the black activist group, the firing squad, I call it, the jury waiting to execute the cop, whether he or she was justified in using deadly force or not. Doesn't matter to them. It is just downright unfair and biased for the police profession. And as I always say, I will not stand by idly and watch this take place. It is nothing more than a firing squad, okay, a jury that hadn't even been selected by uh, the peers and, and, and it hasn't even been uh, 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 legitimized, okay? This is even before you get to the courts. So as soon as the shooting happens, no matter if justified or not, the bandwagon of social media, the bandwagon of black activists jump on it. And even if the person who uh, allegedly became the victim after the police shot him, which ultimately is just no more than a suspect. Now, all of a sudden, they are a martyr and they are the world's best. Goes back to what I said, putting the blame at the feet of the criminal. But no, we put it at the feet of what? The officer. It seems to me that we never want to actually spend the time. Now, again, these are my opinions. We don't never want to spend the time on gathering all the facts before jumping to huge conclusions, okay? As soon as we hear of the shooting, guess what we do? We take the word of the media. We take the word of a, uh, a passerby or standby uh, because they only show you enough of the footage that will be uh, beneficial to the outcome of their argument, right? They never, if you ever noticed, there's never the actual a whole truth and nothing but the truth, okay? It never shows you top from the end or down on or from the uh, beginning to the end. They always put you right in the middle. Do I believe every after every police-involved shooting warrants an initial investigation and the word in all bold capital letters is yes, you bet there should be an investigation after every shooting, justified or not. But holding a virtual trial by social media, like I talked about a moment ago, via the fake news medias and others uh, or other media outlets that are negative in the effect and, and always are going to be biased towards the police, it is uncalled for and we should not allow it to happen. To me, it is unacceptable. It's also very unacceptable. We have to wait for all the facts to come out. It's common sense. Wait for the facts, hear it all, and then make your determination. Then make your uh, opinion based on that. Then make your assumptions. Then make your uh, guilty pleas or however you want to. Again, we're holding virtual court. Then hold your court sessions. But again, wait till all the facts come out. Before you rush to a complete and inaccurate judgment. And yelling, let's change laws. How about we, uh, wait, 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 before I say that. Yelling also, let's write more laws just to be able to punish or make the police officer's job even harder is also not right. And how about before we yell, let's change laws, let's rewrite laws, let's make more laws uh, in the favor of the citizens and effectively uh, 
pushing and opposing the police. Let's make sure that we do our due diligence and wait till all the facts come out of these things. And let's find solutions. Let's not add other issues and more problems to uh, the world of policing. And you may say, well, you're being biased yourself. You just want, you don't want any accountability. Yes, we do. We definitely want accountability. I'm going to be talking about accountability uh, ability later on down the road. So yeah, police at the onset of it, we already held to a higher standard, uh, accountable, and all the other things are transparent because when we take the oath, we raise, like I stated before, our right hand, left hand in the Bible, and we swear to the oath of the United States and to also our state, saying that we will uphold the law, we will uphold the Constitution. So all that included is transparency, accountability, and all the other things that people have spouted that we're not doing. Reimagining the police. These are the latest buzzwords that are going around. I know you've heard it. Okay, so what does reimagining the police actually mean? What does that mean? Here's my opinion of what it actually means. It is the transformation of the way we as police officers, including myself, because again, as you already know, I am a police officer, conduct business. Now, to the outsiders looking in, uh, in the way that we as cops or a.k.a. Uh, the real deal police is outdated and needs a total makeover. The profession is outdated and it needs a total makeover. Organizations, your civic groups, uh, et cetera, who are against the law enforcement uh, profession. One prime example is the people on the left, Black Lives Matter, are attempting to start a push towards reframing of laws, okay, departmental policies, procedures, which is designed to tie the hands, in my opinion, of law enforcement. All this stuff is designed, and you hear about the citizens' review boards, and matter of fact, they want to go as deep as to being a part of the hiring selection. All those things are good, but if you've never been in the uh, feet, if you've never been in the shoes, if you've never been in the legs, the arms, the eyes, the ears, the head of a police officer, then guess what? You're sitting on the review board looking for some perfect police officer. It's never going to happen. Why is that, Officer Thomas? Because before we were a cop, we were obviously humans first, which we are still, but meaning we've all had some type of things that uh, we've done negatively, okay? And if citizens are sitting on a review board looking at a person from the outside or even on paper and making that decision on who needs to be a part of their community uh, uh, policing department, then guess what? Uh, it's very biased. And again, is there a need for citizens to take part in things? Absolutely. But the hiring process is not one of them. Not at all. So to boil all this down in a big pot, the people on the left are hoping to slowly strip, again, my opinion, the power away from police with a special, with a special effort and emphasis to hopefully rid the law enforcement community completely. That's their goal, to get rid of police. Just like BLM and people on the left is deciding to try to, to destroy the nuclear family, anything with structure. Police is made up of structure. They want to destroy it. Why? Because they want to have a tyrannical government and they want full control. How do you boost up the tyrannical government? Get rid of the law enforcement, okay? Get rid of military. All these things that were put in place to have structure, to have what we call enforcement, um, to have peace, justice, get rid of that. Then you move into your tyrannical uh, powers and your uh, efforts, which in my opinion could never happen or neither will it work, to be honest. And I, I talk about this all the time when I'm in, in my uh, speeches, whether I'm on the podcast or someone else's podcast show as a guest, I talk about how defunding the police, reimagining the police, all these things that are just no more than what I call and entitled this show buzzwords. It will not happen. It's, it's, it's not what we call methodical. It is not even uh, realistic. So who do you guess is at the front of the bus driving this reimagining police idea home? Who would you imagine? I wish I had time to allow you to guess. I don't have time. I have to keep moving forward. Yep, you guessed it. If you're out there, former President 
Barack, I'm going to call his whole name, Hussein Obama II. <laughs> you didn't probably know that he's the second. Are you surprised yet? If you're driving down the road, did you come to a screeching stop? If you're running, did you stop on the treadmill? Okay. If you're watching TV with legs kicked up, did you pause that show to say, what in the world? I would have never thought about it. Yeah, right. You knew who it was. Barack Obama. Who else? What other president would uh, push agenda? Oh, well, we have two right now in the House, the uh, president and the vice president. They're they, they, they along with this, even though this is not their particular foundation, but however, they are part of this. And we're going to move into why Barack Obama is pushing this agenda. Now, of course, you would already know that he would start a nonprofit organization. What does any president do after they leave office? They start a nonprofit unless you're President Trump. You don't need it. You've already set things in motion and in place before even becoming the president, okay? But uh, most of the presidents have started their own nonprofit. Why is that? I'm not going to uh, uh, um, one-sidedly say to, to, to pad the pockets and continue to make money, but they feel that uh, the way to give back, okay, um, with their leadership and their guidance and their name recognition is to start a nonprofit, which is exactly what President o Obama did. Okay, in my opinion, how else can you funnel these groups of BLM and all these other uh, 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 tyrannical ideas to uh, be able to push the narrative for that we should defund the police? We don't need the police. Reimagine the police. Uh, kill the police. How could you do this unless you have 501c3s, which is what the Obamas have started? And what is the name? of the Obama's organization. It is the Obama organization. That's what it is. From top all the way down to the bottom, you could uh, rest assured you can go ahead and research it, the Obama Foundation. It is a 501c3 organization, okay, where they are built and centered around what? Donations and people giving. Would you imagine, would you say that George Soros is giving huge amounts and all these other left-wing uh, organizations, companies, and also people? I would say so. Don't know for sure, but if I was, as the saying says, a betting man. After all, President Barack Hussein Obama II was coined the president who stated the police was acting stupidly. Do you remember that? The time when the professor was trying to get into his residence, peeping through the window, was about to make entry through the uh, front window, and a white uh, uh, neighbor saw him, and they accused him, thought he was breaking into his own house. Remember that? When uh, uh, Barack Obama called the police acting stupidly, which I talked about in the last episode, uh, two episodes ago, that he meant nothing more than the police are stupid. But this is your same guy. So are you still surprised yet that he would uh, push your organization, Obama Foundation? You say, well, what's wrong with him having a um, foundation? What, what, what is the problem with that, uh, uh, brother? Can he not uh, start his own foundation? Because after all, we know that it is obviously located in Chicago. Wouldn't you imagine that? Officer Thomas, what's the problem with that? Well, there's a lot of things wrong with it, and we're going to dive into it. But after leaving office, Barack and Michelle Obama started, again, the Obama Foundation, okay? This organization, as you, again, probably could imagine, focus has a special interest on racial issues. So you continue to push the, 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 the in my opinion, the goalposts backwards, not forward. Everything is centered around racial matters, racial issues. Listen, guys, girls, um, it's not that much of issues in America that is uh, forcing the hands of race, okay? We are making an, an issue, but it's not necessarily an issue. But if you look at Barack's uh, foundation and his platform on uh, the Obama Foundation, you will find that, it again, it's sitting around racial issues. How can we begin to uh, move, in my opinion, the goalposts forward is by not talking about all these racial deals. Because, see, the more you talk about something and embed it in the people's brain, they begin to realize that it's an issue, even though it was never one. But if you continue to preach something, then at some point people are going to start playing that back in their minds. And guess what they're going to do? 
they are going to at some point say, okay, there is a race issue. Yeah, there are racist people in America, all walks of life, all genders, all race, all ethnic groups. But America is not, in my opinion, systemically racist. But the people on the left, like Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, and others, they want you to think this. So one of Obama's main staples within his organization is a portion of the organization of the Obama Foundation, and it is centered around black and minority males. It is called My Brother's uh, Keeper Program. And let me tell you a little bit about what this is. It was launched um, back in February of 2014 to address uh, persistent opportunity gaps facing boys and young men of color and to ensure all youth can reach their full potential. And that's a good thing. I'm not knocking that, right? Today, the work continues as the MBK, My Brother's Keepers Alliance. And guess what their initiative would be of the Obama Foundation? Within the Obama Foundation, the MBK Alliance focuses on building safe and supportive communities for boys and young men of color where they feel valued and have clear pathways to opportunities. Now, I do like that. If that's exactly what they're doing, that's a beautiful thing, okay? And we want every person in life to feel valued. We want them to feel like they're wanted. We want all that to happen. But I have got to dive into what we call their mission statement and what the foundation is built around. Watch this. Our mission is to inspire, empower, and connect people to change their world. Now, that's a beautiful catchphrase. They want you to be inspired. They want to empower you. They, and then they want to connect you, bring you together so you can change your world. Imagine that. Individually, they want you to change your world. Not the whole world changing with the emphasis on you helping change the world. They want you to just change your portion of the world. And let's talk about it. Let's, let's reimagine that. That's impossible. Okay? Because it's not just you living in the world. It's you and all of us. So you never can change the actions of everybody. Neither can you change the actions really of anyone but yourself. So uh, I get that you want to change your world, but the only thing you can do is make the change within yourself. Okay. Spread the love. Continue to be good, kind hearted. Okay. And do good deeds. Uh, put God first. Go to work. Be a up uh, in law abiding citizen. And then there you can change the world, but not your world. You're changing the world by giving a piece of what you've done, then you pass it on, the next person does the same. That's how we change the world. I digress. That mission begins at home, they talked about, on the south side of Chicago, which is where all of the killings are happening, black on black, drive-bys, gangs, okay? South side of Chicago, which uh, Barack Obama proudly uh, talks about his upbringing. We're building the Obama presidential center right now is this, it could be finished. I have no idea, but they built the presidential Obama center, but this extends to all of the work and you can learn more about it at the programs when you go to the website, blah, blah, so on. Now I did some, uh, what we call statistics. I want to really look at the South side of Chicago. We hear so much about it. Of course we have the horrible Mayor Lightfoot, who's at the helm of uh, Chicago as the mayor, does does an a incredible, horrible job. <laughs> you never thought you could put the two words together into a sentence, right? Incredible, horrible. Well, that's what she's made up of. I thought it would be befitting. I said, well, you know, we hear about Chicago. We always hear about the south side of Chicago, which I haven't been to Chicago yet. Looking forward to someday uh, soon going and have some of those beautiful uh, uh, beef franks and the beautiful deep dish pizza. Um, and I'm also going to have a bulletproof vest on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I am kidding for all those out there that's from Chicago, live in Chicago. It was a joke. Okay. It was only a joke, please. Well, y'all already said that, uh, <laughs> the great Larry Elder is a, uh, white supremacist and, and, and I get, you know, pushing that narrative. So I guess you've already, well, I actually, have been along with uh, my organization that I work with, the Blexit. We were uh, called white supremacists um, 
group of people made up of uh, blacks. We're white supremacists. I've never known those two can be synonymous. But either way, I'm digressing for the second time. Okay. Going back to what? Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel in the road. No, um, I'm coming back. I, I know exactly what I was talking about. When you look at this, uh, there's tons of areas within Chicago that you do not, and I repeat, you do not want to go through as a tourist, and I'm sure if you are native, you definitely don't tour and go through. But we're going to, I have less than five minutes left, okay, before we hit our first break. And as I always do, I like to start off fresh. So when we get back from this break, which is taking place very shortly, I want to dive into the 10 most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago. Why are you taking the special interest in Chicago? Well, President Barack Obama from the south side of Chicago took a special interest in, in policing. He is one of the main headliners who's pushing reimagining the police. So we need to talk about where he's from, what is he doing to help, along with Mayor Lord uh, Lightfoot and all the other mayors that came before him, um, her, uh, who's helping hopefully to clean up these areas. But we're going to talk about the 10 most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago. We're going to hit them, okay? We're going to hit them rapidly. We're going to hit them quickly. And these statistics will be pulled from the USA electronic system for travel. I didn't even know this existed until I started researching. But keep a, uh, a, uh, I guess I should say, keep in mind, if you ever are touring any uh, cities within the 50 states of the United States, okay, you can go to this website, which is ran by the feds, okay, uh, again, the USA Electronic System for Traveling, and you can find out what pl places not to visit, and you can scratch that off your list, okay? It's a beautiful tool. Um, this is not something that I made up. This is not coming from Google. This is coming straight from the federal website, and we're going to dive into it here shortly because we have to understand, we have to know what Chicago is doing because, again, we already know that the riots took place there as well, okay? We understand that the mayor there is pushing the uh, police accountability or imagine the police, but all these things are being pushed. Of course, you saw what she took uh, the funding away from the police department, but so uh, quickly she had to put it back because she realized how in the world can we do our job without the uh, proper funding. And the commissioner of the Chicago Police Department was the former chief of Dallas police. So he's very respected. Uh, I, I like him. He's a, a high-level chief, uh, Chief Brown. He's there now doing his best to combat the crime. So he came in behind, as we say, the curveball and the eight ball. However, he's doing his best, along with great people that work under him, to help change that city. But how can any police chief, as I talked about before, uh, change the dynamics of the way they police, their funding, their equipment, their people without the backing of the um, city council, the mayor. It's not possible. I commend Chief Brown. Continue to fight, continue to uh, hire great men and women to be able to combat the crime. And we always pray for everyone around the globe, I should say this, in policing, whether you're in Australia, whether you are in uh, Iowa, we pray for you because our job is tough. I'm in North Carolina. Same deal goes there. But we are coming up on a break. And again, when we come back, okay, I want to dive right into the 10 most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago. If you just by uh, happenstance forgot that you were listening to Real Talk <laughs> with Officer Antoine Thomas, let me remind you, you are listening to Real Talk. And I hope this conversation is resonating to your mind, okay? And disclaimer, if you love and you loved President Barack Hussein Obama II, and you feel offended because I'm hitting his organization pretty hard. I'm sorry. This is not a show. I'm not apologizing to you. I'm apologizing to the fact that the matter is that you are uh, too in-depth with this man. You have to realize what's going on. And the Obama Foundation has good and bad as any other organization. But I have to hit it where it hurts. Okay? Look, we're coming up on a break. This is real talk. And I am the one and the only Officer Tom. 
tonight, the famous words are, welcome back. Look, you are listening to Real Talk with Officer Ann Twan Thomas. As I stated in the last segment before the break, we are going to dive right into the 10 most dangerous neighborhoods that make up Chicago. These are places you want to avoid as a tourist. These are places that you want to avoid if you decide to move to the south side of Chicago. Now, also keep in mind that the electronic system for travel um, authorization, which is a federal um, mandated and also a federal uh, federal um, sponsored website, uh, which means legit. You can also look up cities when you are looking to to relocate to uh, other parts of the country and obviously to other states. But the 10 most dangerous neighborhoods in the south side of Chicago, the moment you have been waiting for. Avoid these places. The West Garfield Park, Washington Park, okay, Inglewood, North Lawndale, Grand Crossing, you want to avoid West Inglewood. You want to stay away from Riverdale, the South Shore, Chatham. Oh, yeah, and by the way, apart from the areas listed above, which are the worst neighborhoods in Chicago, according to the statistics I just read to you, there are also other areas that the feds um, who make up this website, who manage this website, want you to avoid as well and that is burnside uh south deering pullman south chicago fuller park auburn gresham gage park chicago line do me a favor if you are listening tuning in if you know me personally if you know me uh, on facebook it is antoine thomas message me and say hey i'm from these areas and it is rough or you can find me on instagram at politician underscore talk message me there and and let me know according to the mission they strive to inspire empower and connect people to change the world that is the mission of the obama foundation okay but i have a question for you why aren't and this question is obviously geared if he was sitting in front of me or by phone, former President Barack Obama, uh, Hussein Obama II, I would ask him this. Why aren't you and your foundation inspiring, empowering, and connecting the people in that community that makes up the South Side of Chicago to clean up their area and stop the black-on-black crimes gangs, murdering other gangs, or the innocent killings of children who are lying in bed sleep all due to a uh, passerby with what we call a drive-by as a result of a drive-by shooting and missing the intended targets. How often do we hear about this? Can we do this first? Yes, it's great to inspire, empower, and connect those to to be able to be the change and have the opportunity to change the world. Again, not their world, but the world as a whole. But before you do that, you need to inspire uh, and connect and empower uh, the community in which you are serving to clean up their own areas, okay? Police their own areas first, okay? Sweep the dust from around their own front door before you try to Go ahead and sweep the dust from the law enforcement's door. Do that first, and then we will begin to listen, and then we will begin to understand more. But when you are doing nothing to go ahead and fix the problem, uh, you're doing nothing more than adding to the problem. How can one listen to you when your life is jacked up? That's like going to a psychiatrist and asking them, Um, to fix some errors in your life, some areas in your life where you fall 
short and of course uh hopefully you're putting god first praying with it going to your pastor but people say well that's just not uh, enough i want a uh professional counseling and you go to these people and they are helping you clean your life and you find out that their life is uh, way more jacked up than yours they have tons and tons of trash bags of garbage well guess what you need to leave that person you need to leave that office because they can't tell you anything. Same thing here. And I'm not saying Obama has nothing to offer, but at the end of the day, you can't make a change until you become the change. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's start here before we branch out, demanding that, again, we change laws and trying to hold the police profession to the fire. Please do me this favor and sweep again around your door first. Get rid of your dirt in front of your door. Okay, topic, latest buzzwords, reimagining the police. I digress from the Obama Foundation. I want to move into something else because we hear about it all the time. The ACLU, they're also helping push this narrative that we need reimagining the police. What does that even stand for? American Civil Liberties Union. Was this created to combat the police issues? Uh, Back in the Rodney King days, they had a special interest in it. But however, their motto is just this. Divest from the police and invest in the communities. Nothing more than defunding the police. This is the ACLU's motto. Pull straight from their website. They also want to reimagine the police. They have a caption with a group of black men kneeling and the police on the opposite end, uh, which makes up black and white police officers and looks like some Hispanics in there as well. On the police side, they're uh, holding up their fists and hands and surrender as if the police are coming to uh, ultimate, ultimately lock them up just for existing, which we know that's not true. They have a caption here that says, together with our partners and uh, allies, the ACLU is working to bring an end to our country's long nightmare. So we're having a long nightmare. And everybody knows about a nightmare. It happens when you're sleeping. Okay, a nightmare can also be used to describe uh, your day or a uh, time in your day that was a disaster. Here they're saying it's a long nightmare. You never wake up from it. Police violence. When you wake up, police violence. When you go to bed, it's nothing more than police violence all over the world. Police violence, police violence, police violence. Again, if they continue to push this narrative and embed this in your brain at some point, you'll start to believe it. Let me read an excerpt from the ACLU. It says, over the last week, ACLU staff across the country, and this is taken from June 5th, 2020, have worked as legal observers, educated protesters about their rights, been arrested, tear gassed, and hit with rubber bullets, challenged curfews, organized town halls, talked to victims of police abuse, donated money to Black Lives Matter, local bail funds, and other groups, and strategized about the transformational change. Obviously, during that time in June of last year, it was dealing with the George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. That's what sparked this huge uh, protest, riots, and looting because of that incident. And then they attacked on many others, Breonna uh, and, and all these other people who were uh, allegedly was just murdered and gunned down in cold blood by the police with no type of uh, um, interest or no type of evidence or no type of reason, just gun them down, which is further from the truth, as I always say. The ACLU is busier than ever, they say on the website. Let's not forget, this is happening in the midst of a pandemic during the Trump administration. They had to throw Trump in here, of course, right? Trump's to blame for all of this. But we don't hesitate to prioritize this work at this time because we have witnessed this reality of police violence all too often, they say. Playing the victim. Let's be victims. Black people are uh, taught to be the victim, no matter what happens. If you rob a bank, the police shoot you. You, 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 you should, and, and you didn't get all the money, or you got shot and killed. He was a victim. He went into the bank, didn't want to go to work, robbed everybody, shot several people. But yet, the suspect's the victim. Or we can go home with it. You know, at the end of the day, unemployment has ran out. I'm the victim because I refuse to go to work and make my own money. I refuse to let the government take over and help push this communist narrative. Victim, 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 victim. My brothers and sisters, friends and family, 
talking about the black race for a moment. We have got to stop playing the victim. That's one thing we preach at Blexit. We are free thinkers. We are victorious. We're not victims. We are victors. Okay. And how do you become a victor? You change the narrative and you be the change as we always talk about. Get out there, work, be a man, stand up, be a father, go to work, be up and rising and law-abiding citizen. Put God first, go to church, be a steward of, great steward of money. Okay. And have these things in place. And then the victim mindset, you will find out it dwindles down. It's nothing more than being able to go into a high-end steakhouse and pull out your card with tons of money on it that you worked so hard for. It's nothing less than going to that same steakhouse and trying to pull out an American flag EBT card to try to purchase a meal at the free uh, governance of the uh, feds, okay? It's nothing more than that. More pride, more love when you get your own. God bless the child who has his own. The ACLU's advocacy against police violence began in the 1920s. So I'm going to break down the foundation of how the ACLU started back in the 1920s. Shortly after our founding and has continued for the next 100 years in 1931, uh, they spearheaded the issuance of the government report, okay? And these reports talked about lawlessness and law enforcement in 1965. Uh, they reacted to a response of the Waltz Rebellion. Look that up, okay? I did some research on that, okay? We opened up, again, this is from the website, storefront offices to directly document police abuse. In 1991, following the beatings, okay, the most famous beatings of the uh, L.A. Police Department of Rodney King, they launched a fight against racial profiling, okay? Not only did they launch a, a, a campaign resulting in litigation and a vibrant nationwide advocacy effort, in 2015, they published something called Picking Up the Pieces, a report documenting biased policing in Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis, okay, uh, ACLU reports from New York, Chicago, Newark, Philadelphia, Boston, Detroit, Nebraska. They all had documented police departments that reserve their most aggressive enforcement. <laughs> this is funny stuff. Against people of color generally and black people in particular. Again, victim mindset, victim mindset, victim mindset. Despite the tireless work done by so many in the ACLU to address the police violence in communities of color, there's a fundamental truth that we must confront. It has not worked. Imagine that. Black people continue to be murdered and brutalized by police with near impunity. Did you catch that? With near impunity. They use the most boisterous words. Brutalized, murdered. Brutalized, murdered. Brutalized, murdered. With no recourse, no legal allegations, no no legal uh, conclusions. That's what they're saying. That is, again, further from the truth. And they also spout that more of this will not fix the problem. They want you to look into the future. They want you to unite behind the profound or the profound fight that groups like Black Lives Matter have been leading. They have a movement. And this fight is for completing the reimagining vision of the police, of the role of the police, the presence of the police, the responsibilities of the police in America. ACLU, add them to the list, pushing the narrative of refunding the police or defunding the police and pushing the narrative that we need to reimagine the police. But this is not only happening in Chicago, not only happening in New York, not only happening in Nebraska, not only happening in Philadelphia, not only happening in Newark, New Jersey, all these places. It's happening right here in my home state where I reside at this moment, North Carolina. Our governor has already formed a police accountability task force, which I'm going to be diving into. You better believe it which is made up of a black uh, group of some folks that call themselves black activists, nothing more uh, than people who hate the police, community leaders, the cop haters, I included, 
uh, civil attorneys, of course, because you got to have your civil attorneys on the list because when they commit crimes of violence through protesting, they got to be able to bail them out, have the money on hand so they can go out and do what? The same thing again in a whole nother area. Uh, and maybe they may throw one or two members of the police department up there to make up this task force because you have to have somebody representing the police. Didn't say somebody uh, um, who that person was, but you got to have them up there. Also, the governor, Cooper himself, which we call Dictator Cooper, he's also signing bills into law regarding these same things, okay? Uh, now, I do agree with one bill that he signed into law, okay? When you look at it, it is nothing more than the bill to be able to have the duty to react. Speaking of law enforcement officers, see something, say something, basically is what that is, okay? You have a duty to uphold course of officers uh, going hard in the pain, as we say. It is that officer's job who is a standby or a person who's uh, assisting, as we call them, cover officers. He or she has a duty to intervene, and I do agree with that. Now, sometimes intervening, man, you have to apply more pressure because of a. Uh, if you've never been, which the governor hasn't, obviously, but if you've never been in a situation where you are uh, attempting to affect an arrest, the words we use, legal, uh, legal term sounds a whole lot better. When you're trying to affect an arrest and the person is showing uh, force, uh, a person is showing resistance, a person um, who is twice your size, we even throw in uh, hyped on drugs, okay? Uh, that person becomes strong and you have to use other means, okay, to affect the arrest, which is why we have all these tools on our waist, okay? Uh, your non-lethal, your pepper spray, your taser, your uh, aspartan, okay? All these things are used as non-lethal. And if it's ever escalated to use deadly force, which the only deadly force outside of our hands, if we're capable of using that in that way, is our firearm, if it warrants that then guess what? We have to use that. Those are tools given to us by our department, but those are also tools that was granted to us by the uh, state law and constitution because it says that we will, uh, in order to defend ourselves or third person from what we believe to be the imminent use of deadly force. Deadly force is what usually contains or pertaining to a gun. Deadly force can be pertaining to someone's driving in the car who's attempted to run you over. That is also deadly force. Anything that is used against you to end your life is deadly force right whether that's your hands up by the nature of strangling strangling someone or putting your legs around their neck or any type of thing wherever it may be we have a duty we have obligation and we are granted and we are justified by the state to use that necessary force to make it all happen so when we hear that uh the aclu is spouting that we are brutalizing and murdering uh, black people on a daily basis is further from the truth. And if you actually listen to the statement I read, you can look it up. You never noticed or you never heard or you never uh, heard me read that they said are brutalizing or murdering innocent <laughs> people. You never heard that. Neither did you hear them talk about brutalizing or murdering a suspect, a shoplifter, a robber, murderer, a sex offender. None of those things were added because they never going to tell you the reason why the police are called there in the first place. Latest buzzwords. Reimagining the police. We're wrapping up, but I have a few more things to hit with you, okay? And then we're going to call it all and dial it all down. And we're going to push it back, okay? So here in North Carolina, my governor's doing this, signing bills into law that, uh, in my opinion, sometimes will negatively affect the law enforcement community. But don't worry, we are going to shed light on those things because, in my opinion, it's a one-sided effort. Okay, But our great General Assembly, uh, the people that's on the right that make up my party, we're pushing back and we're trying to make sure that these laws are uh, what we call inclusive and that they are not biased and not one-sided, but they are double-sided and there's a standard for both. That's all we ask. Now, I spoke about the great and horrible and incredible all at once. All those things are negative that I'm trying to say about her. I don't know anything she's done great, but Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is attempting also to do the same thing in her city. Now, I told you the 10 worst 
and most dangerous places to be located in the Chicago South Side. But here she is, wants to reimagine the police, change the laws, defund the police, and all these things when the blame should be at her foot at this point because she is in control of the South Side of Chicago, right? In my opinion, she has followed Obama's footsteps. After all, they are from the same city, wouldn't you say so? In my opinion, their focus is centered around the wrong people. That is my opinion. Now, listen to what Cynthia R. Renaud, and hopefully I'm saying her name right. She is the current president of the IACP, and this stands for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. This is what she said. She said, reimagining policing and police reform. Two terms, which we hear frequently these days. This is what we're hearing. That's why I'm talking about the latest buzzword, reimagining the police. But what do they really mean? I talked about it earlier. These are just subjective. It can be whatever opinion you want it to be, whatever meaning you want it to be. And unfortunately, there is no clear answer, or as she say, stated here, no clear-cut answer to describe or to uh, give you a answer on that. There, there's no clear-cut because this is just something that is made up, sounds pretty. Reimagine policing and police reform have different meanings to people all over the globe, making it hard to find mutually agreed upon solutions, ideas, evidence-based approaches. This is what she said in the IACP. Go to the website and read it. Whatever it means to you, there needs to be an, an uh, excuse me, I'm having a tongue twister here, an acknowledgement that policing is not broken. I agree. As a profession, we have made great strides. Agreed. We continue to adapt and evolve in an ever-changing landscape of crime and challenges. And as more duties get laid at our feet, agreed, we embrace those pressures, expectations, and work hard to make our community safe. That's what we do day in, day out. And thriving places for all those who live, work, and play in those areas. Agreed. The men and women of law enforcement that I have been fortunate. This is from uh, Cynthia. Statements enough to know and work alongside during my career are dedicated, compassionate, selfless people. It's often said that those who choose to wear the uniform do so because they are dedicated. What are we dedicated to? The public service, the higher calling. It's absolutely true. I agree with that as well. At the same time, she stated, we must acknowledge that far too often the image of our noble profession has suffered from actions of bad actors. We can definitely say that as bad actors in every organization, in every profession. We talked about that. No need to beat a dead horse or split second decisions that ended in tragedy for all involved. And unfortunately, we have to make a lot of split second decisions. It's the nature of the game, nature of the beast. As we have witnessed, these events spark concern in our communities and have ignited loud and insistent calls to reform police tactics or policy tactics and to reimagine the delivery of police services. And this is a goal that police leaders share. This is from the leader and the president of the International Chiefs of Police. I can unequivocally state that the policing profession is committed to involving and building trust within all segments of our communities. As a society, she stated, we must be willing to listen and discuss the realities of policing, identify meaningful uh, solutions, and understand that the trust and support of our communities is the bedrock of successful policing. Agreed. Effective lasting change will require resources, commitment, and well-thought-out approaches. Everyone will, I want to add this, must play a crucial role and moving constructive efforts forward. And no one has the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. Uh, at this, sitting back. As police are only one part of the communal, the criminal justice system, and there are many elements like education, which we see CRT is being embedded, mental health, addiction, economic welfare. There, there you see that intersect with it and it greatly affects the way it functions. Yeah. All these things factor in how we police. At the same time, she stated, we must avoid hasty, radical measures that do not forget the core of enhanced community policing engagement. Misguided, short-sighted actions like slashing police budgets, defunding police, ending qualified immunity, or limiting the use of much-needed law enforcement equipment will likely 
have an adverse and negative impact for years to come. Now, this was a beautiful statement laid out by the world's largest uh, organ professional organization made up of police leaders around not only the uh, United States of America, but the world with more than 3,100, um, excuse me, 31,000 members in over 165 countries. Would you say that this is uh, something that is credible? I would say so. As I digress and as I begin to wrap this thing up, because we have got to get out of here. We have less than five minutes to get out of here, okay? I want to tell you something that if you are sitting at your table, if you're driving in your car saying this is not credible information, look up them up, IACP. And what they have a special interest in, what they focus on is committed to advancing the safer communities through the thoughtful, progressive police leadership. This has been going on since 1893. Would you say these group of wonderful professional leaders have a um, track record? And would you say that we, we would definitely listen to them and take what they're saying, not as the gospel, but we will definitely say that uh, this is much needed. And we do agree. And we would like to hear from these police leaders that make up so many different uh, municipalities around the world, around the globe, because this is the international chiefs of police. It's a worldwide deal. Okay. And the whole goal of this is also for them to fight back and speak out on the behalf of law enforcement, okay, and advancing leadership and professionalism in policing worldwide. I also had the privilege, uh, I believe I talked about it in my opening trailer or maybe somewhere in the beginning of this show when I first launched it, that I had the beautiful pleasure of serving on the Police Benevolence Association uh, board, that board of directors where we make the decisions for all of our um, law enforcement members that make up our state here in North Carolina, the largest law enforcement uh, membership community as it pertains to the same deal with what uh, the chiefs of police are dealing with, and that is the advocation, and that is the voice for law enforcement. And I was prideful, and I am very still uh, proud to have served on the board. Uh, I am, I'm very proud to have been part of the pushback, the fight back. And if we don't have a system in place that defends us as police officers, then what will we leave it up to? Again, people on the left, Black Lives Matter, they want to see our profession destroyed. They want to see it gone. But we refuse, I refuse to stand by and watch this take place. We're not going to have it. We're going to keep moving forward. The latest buzzwords, reimagining the police. On the next episode, we're moving to police accountability. Again, my governor here in North Carolina is also pushing this. He's created the Police Accountability Task Force. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, same deal. We're going to tag it. We're going to look into it. We're going to call it out. And we're going to speak on the good. We're going to speak on the bad. But before we reimagine the police again, before we reimagine the police, let's reimagining a world of without crime. Let's reimagining fixing up our cities, our communities, our towns, and get rid of the gang-infested areas. And then we can talk about reimagining the police. As we wrap up, please stay tuned for part two of the latest buzzword, reimagining the police, police accountability. I will be flying this plane right into my own state of North Carolina on the next episode. We are the first in flight, by the way, too. Listen, I've really enjoyed bringing this particular episode to you. As I always say, reach one, teach one. I'll even add this. Grab them by the hand. Take them into the show. Send them this uh, link to my podcast. Get them in here. We want to reach them. We want to teach them. We want to show them. We want to express to them why it's very important to make sure we have all the facts we have all the right information before we stout anything, spout to fund the police. Okay. As I always say, I enjoy bringing this particular episode to you. You have been listening to Real Talk. Again, as I always say and love to say, I am your host, Officer Antoine Thomas. Do something for me. As I always say, like, share, love. Okay. Present this show to someone who's in need of being reformed in their mind about how they perceive the police. God do these things for us and we'll be careful. God bless our country. God bless 
soldiers. God bless our community. God bless the police officers. And definitely, God, do me a favor and bless all my friends and family out there that's listening to the podcast show. I am your host. Again, you have been listening to Real Talk with Officer Antoine.